Well, today we're, I think, wading into some, some deep waters. We're taking a break uh, from our study of the book of Psalms. Um, and actually, for the rest of the summer, uh, we're going to be looking at the life of, of King Saul. And so we're going to spend the summer with Saul. Uh, we also have some great guest preachers coming in this summer. Um, later on in the summer, uh, Pastor Paul McFarland from Ireland is going to be with us. Um, and so he'll be preaching in August. So we have some great things that we're doing this summer. Um, But today we're going to kind of do something a little bit different than what we normally do. But let me pray for us first, and then we'll dive in. Father God, we we just thank you for this opportunity to to come together as your people. Lord, today I I just, I thank you for your word. I thank you uh, for just the fact that you're a communicating God. That you teach us the ways that we should go. You teach us who you are. You, You open up certain things about who you are and your attributes. And Lord, we, we can know you. Lord, I, I pray, Father, that even as we step into your word on, on, a, on a, I think, a challenging topic, I pray that we would also see the good news in it. I, I think for many of us, there's a burden to this topic. But I pray that we would wrestle with it, even wrestle through that burden in order to get to the good news of it, because there's real blessing in this topic. And so, Lord, we just ask for your grace today in a really special way. We ask for your spirit to come and, and give us eyes to see, to open our eyes to, to trust you in fresh and more sacrificial ways. Help us to repent of sin and turn to you. Lord, where we're discouraged, I pray that you would encourage us. Lord, I pray that more than anything that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, I've dreaded this sermon for a long time. In fact, uh, avoiding this topic has been one of my biggest pastor fails at Redeemer Church. I'm serious when I say I really don't feel like I've served you well in this area. We're going to talk about the topic today of tithing. And it's an important topic because it's connected to your discipleship. And, And I don't feel like I've been a good shepherd of you in this area. Today, as we look at this issue of tithing, if you're a visitor, I'm sorry, you came on the wrong week, okay? We normally don't uh, do something like this. Typically, what we do is uh, we just kind of march through books of the Bible, or we'll take a passage, like an entire psalm, and look at it just kind of verse by verse. This is more of a topical sermon, so it'll be better next week if you're a visitor. Come back. Also, this is what I'm going to call like a statement sermon. And what I mean by that is there's famous preachers who typically many times week in and week out, they're kind of giving their full statement on some sort of an issue. I'm just, uh, I'm not one of those guys. And my focus is really on the people in this room. And so I try to just explain and apply a text for real people in our church. But today I want to give a a, a fuller explanation uh, on this issue. So we're going to bounce around a little bit, but my prayer is, is that this is something that as people in the future say, okay, what is tithing? Then we can point back to this sermon as a resource for them. But like I said, I don't feel like that I've served you well by avoiding this issue. And I want to explain maybe why I have avoided this issue. And, And there's kind of a virtue-vice thing, I think, for me. There's a virtuous reason, I think, uh, that initially, why I didn't initially speak to this issue, but I think that has really be- become a vice. Um, we're coming up on 10 years in this church, and, and I've never spoken uh, about tithing. So we're, if you're a visitor, we're not the church that's always talking about money, okay? And, and that's kind of where I began with this, is that when we first came to Plant Redeemer Church, as we talked to different people, and I think this is very understandable, People uh, said that their main objections and skepticism to a pastor and a church is that they're always talking about money. They're just trying to get your money. And I've been very sensitive to that. I I don't want to be that type of pastor. And I'm going to put my cards on the table. I think uh, there are instances uh, of churches that are too manipulative with regards to the issue of money, and, and even pastors that I think are that. And so I'm, I'm very sensitive not to be that. And if, if you think I'm lying, if you're here the first time, and yeah, 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 you're talking about money... I'm 10 years in, and we're just now doing this, okay? I know guys that, that talk about this every year. But also, um, I think for me, I've used that as an excuse to not shepherd well, okay? I've used that as an excuse because this issue really touches on fear of man issues for me. 
I've really feared that if I were to preach on this, people would leave the church. And I've also feared that, you know, people are going to walk away saying, oh, well, Mike is just a legalist. I, I don't think I'm a legalist on this issue. But listen, if you're going to leave the church or say that, you know, that's, that's okay. That's, that's where you are. But, but that's part of the reason why I haven't spoke to this yet, just because I've had some fear of man issues on it. However, at the end of the day, Jesus talked a lot about money. He talked about generosity. I think tithing is a biblical theme. And I think tithing is connected to our discipleship. So I think it's important. So if I'm going to faithfully shepherd our church, I need to speak with clarity on the issue of tithing. Now, today I want to make a a case. I want to make a case that tithing is cheerfully and faithfully giving a tenth of your income to the Lord through the local church as a joyful act of worship. If you want a full-orbed definition of what tithing is, that's what I think it is. That tithing is cheerfully and faithfully giving a tenth of your income to the Lord through your, lo- through your local church as a joyful act of worship. Now to get there, I'm going to do, and if you're following along in your notes, there's actually six uh, sections here. What I want to do first is I want to establish three biblical theological truths. Just uh, truths that you see all throughout the scriptures that are thematic in the scriptures that I, help, that I think help frame the context of this issue. Second, I want to get to what the Old Testament teaches about tithing. Then I want to go to the New Testament and talk about what the New Testament teaches about generosity. And then use all of that as a bridge to some principles and specifically the principle of tithing. And I want to show how generosity and tithing are an important part of your discipleship. But really where I want to land is, is the good news of tithing. Because I don't think this is burdensome law. I think there's good news in this. So where I want to start is, is to understand that God owns everything, God is generous, and that God commands worship. Before I think we can talk faithfully about tithing, I think we need to get the big picture. And the big picture is, is that God owns everything, God is generous, and God commands worship. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He owns everything. When I was a kid, my favorite toy was Legos, and my go-to was, was castles and knights. I'm very disappointed Lego doesn't have those out right now. It's the greatest toy. I created all these little medieval worlds. I was the creator over all of those things. In a similar way, God created it, meaning that he's over all of it. And like as I looked down over my castles and said, mine, God looks over all of creation and says, mine. Psalm 50, uh, verses 10 and 11 say, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hill. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the, in the field is mine. Again, as God looks over all of His creation, He says mine. But number two, God is generous. There were times, I have to admit, over my little Lego castle world, sometimes I was a generous creator, sometimes I was not. God is always a generous creator over all of his creation. Let me give you two examples. If uh, we look at the Psalms a lot, I've been looking at the Psalms recently. The theme of the book of Psalms is the term hesed. And hesed is typically translated in your English version as steadfast love. God loves you with steadfast love. It's not conditional. It's It's not based on the whims of your life or when you're up or when you're down. God's love is steadfast. It's unconditional. So he is generous to us. Ephesians 2.8 says that we are, by grace you have been saved. Grace is unmerited favor. It's when you deserve justice, God gives you mercy. That's how he relates to his creation. He is generous. He has lavishly given to us things that we don't deserve. And finally... Because God is sovereign and because He's good, He commands us to worship Him. From the first people, especially Cain and Abel, you see God commanding people to worship Him. Worship is joyfully declaring the glories of God to the glories of God. And it's finding joy in that. As you ponder again who He is, sing about who He is, you find joy in that and you're, you're worshiping Him to Him. There's direction to it. Now, typically, the way we worship is we sing songs on Sunday morning. So we sing Amazing Grace and we find joy by declaring the glories of God to the glorious God. But before you can understand tithing, 
It's important to understand that that God is the creator of all things. He owns all things. He's generous. And and also that God commands us to worship. This idea of worship is key because when you look at all the teachings about tithing in the Old Testament, it's within the context of worship. Second thing I want you to see is I want you to understand in the Old Testament that God commanded his people to worship him through tithing. Now, what I want to do in this section is, is, is I want to start with the term tithe. And then I want to look at just kind of a series, kind of quick hit verses uh, in the Old Testament uh, that explain what tithing is. And then I want to get to uh, some maybe distinctions, some distinctions between tithing and taxes and distinctions between tithings, what tithes and offerings. And then I want to go back to Malachi 3.10 and I want to bridge to the New Testament. So starting with the term tithe. Tithe simply means tenth or ten percent. That's what the word means. So it, it's not general giving. It, it's a, it references a specific amount. It's ten percent. So if someone says, yes, I, get, I, I tithe two percent of my income to the Lord. Well, technically, they're not tithing because they're not giving ten percent. Tenth just means, uh, tithe just means tenth or ten percent. Let's look at some verses. Deuteronomy 14.22 says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. Deuteronomy 14.22. This verse highlights just the clear command to tithe. The Old Testament is clear that God's people were to give 10% of what they earned to the Lord. Now, Deuteronomy 14 is a great place to start because as you go further down that passage, he explains uh, how tithe was part of their worship, and specifically they were to give it to the Levites, and we'll talk about, more, we'll talk about the Levites more in a minute. God also approved the tithes because in Deuteronomy uh, 14.29, he connects faithful giving to God's blessing. So when they were faithful to give a tithe, then God promised blessing. Leviticus 27.30 says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. This verse highlights that they were to give 10% of their profits, no matter their business, to the Lord. There were different types of businesses, if you will, referenced here, and they were to give 10% of that to the Lord. Numbers 18.26 says, Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, when you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. Now, what's going on here is a few different things. When people gave in the Old Testament a tithe to the Lord, they were giving it to the Levites. Well, who are the Levites? The Levites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were totally designated to the, uh, to the cultic temple worship of the nation. So their job was to teach God's word, but ultimately to uh, lead the nation, all of God's people, in worshiping him on the temple. So a whole tribe of Israel was devoted to this, and the Levites received the tithe for doing this religious work. Now that verse is really helpful too, because what he's saying there in Numbers 18 is that even though the Levites received the tithe, they were also to tithe what they, were, what they received. So those who benefited from the tithe, if you will, they were also to tithe. The Levites were not exempt from tithing. Now I want to take a side note on this issue because I think that's a really important point. At Redeemer Church, our expectation of our leaders is that they tithe. Tithing is part of our, is part of our membership covenant, but also when we hire someone, I communicate that expectation to them. So we sit down and I communicate a series of things to them. And one thing I uh, tell most people when we hire them, I say, listen, you can be a, a terrible father and still work at Exxon. You can't work at Redeemer Church and be a terrible father. And within the context of those types of things, we talk about tithing. We've recently uh, put together a personnel policy handbook, and tithing is in there for our expectations of our leaders. We feel that it's inappropriate to have someone in leadership of this church who is not tithing, and that begins with our staff. But that also goes down to elders, deacons, and small group leaders and trustees. So let me tell you how this operates. If we have someone that we're uh, exploring and praying about, about being an elder or being a deacon in our church, What the elders do is they email our bookkeeper and our trustees, and we ask them, yes or no, we don't want dollar amounts, 
uh, we just want to know, yes or no, do you feel like they are tithing? And if they come back and say, no, we don't, then we take them off our list. We don't recruit them for those leadership positions of elder, deacon, small group leader, or trustees. We think that that uh, is such an indication of their spiritual maturity that, that it disqualifies them from those positions. We also have another section, and I think this is uh, important to communicate as well. Any position in this church that has something to do with money, where people are making decisions on where money is going, it's kind of like man, any skin in the game, you shouldn't be part of it, right? So if someone is uh, on our missions team, our missions team gives, uh, we designate 10% of our budget every year to missions. And we ask a team of leaders to determine where that goes. So for them to be on that team, they have to commit to tithing. Let me go back to the Old Testament. Second Chronicles 31.5. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all the produce of the field. And they brought it abundantly, the tithe of everything. First fruits is what I want you to key in on. The understanding of tithing in the Old Testament is this was part of their first fruits. And I think the best translation of that or the best understanding of that is first and best. They gave their first and their best as part of their tithe. Now, let's get to Malachi. And we're going to circle back to Malachi 3.10 a couple of times. But let me read Malachi 3.10 and make a couple of points, but then we'll circle back to it later. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We're going to return to this later, especially, but, but, but I want to highlight here at this point to say that when he says storehouse, bring the tithe into the storehouse, the storehouse is the temple. He's telling them to bring their tithes into the temple. I also want you to notice in this verse that there's a challenge there. He sets it up as a test. God is challenging his people to tithe. But in it, so, so it's a test of faithfulness. And I just want to stop there that, to note that tithing, I think, is difficult. <laughs> I think it's hard. I'm a stingy person, and it's hard for me to give 10% of my money away. Okay, there, There's a burden to this, and you probably feel that as well. People in the Old Testament felt that same burden. This was a hard thing for them to do, okay? So he challenges them in that way. He doesn't say, yeah, give, you know, give faith when things are good, when things are tight. You know, he, do he just challenges them to tithe. But also note that he promises a blessing. He promises to bless them if they would tithe. Okay, those are some of the key Old Testament passages that help us understand that tithing is 10% of our income to the Lord that was part of their temple worship. Now, let me just reference three other passages. Leviticus 27, Numbers 18, and Deuteronomy 14. They explain the pattern that the tithe was to be given three times a year. There were three different tithes. There was the first tithe, the festival tithe, and the poor tithe. Now, some have tried to say, okay, there's three tithes, that meant that really what they were doing is not giving 10%, they were giving 30%. I don't think that was what was going on. I think the best way to understand that is kind of like if you make a certain amount of money in January and you give a tithe in January, and you make a certain amount of money in February, and then you tithe in February. It's not that you've given 30% throughout the year. It's, you've given 10%, but I think it's at three different points. There's also been some discussion that people have tried to make the case that, that the poor tithe that that's kind of a parallel to the taxes that we give for, for a welfare state. That there's an equivalent to, okay, that yeah, they gave a poor tithe, but what they did in the temple, that's the equivalent of like what the government does of providing welfare for people in need. I, I don't think that works for a couple of reasons. Um, and I don't think that that's a fair parallel. And, and I want to explain that. Those funds were resources that were given to the poor. However, I don't think that we should understand them as the equivalent of a tax. First reason being is, is that tithes were commanded, but they were also voluntary. They were not compulsory. The IRS wasn't going to go knocking on, on their door if they didn't give the tithe. It was commanded by God, but it, but it was voluntary. It wasn't backed by the force uh, of the government. So it wasn't a tax in that way. Second, uh, the poor tithe wasn't a tax because in ancient Near East culture, 
There were these cultural things. Some of them were clearly defined in Scripture. Some of them were more cultural, where they helped take care of welfare needs differently than we take care of them today. We studied the book of Ruth this spring. Think Ruth. You remember some of the things that Boaz did for Ruth? First off, he was her kinsman redeemer. So there was a cultural understanding and a biblical understanding that the family was supposed to take care of someone who was impoverished. But, but second, there were these mechanisms that they could take care of impoverished people. And in Ruth, we see that Ruth goes to the field and she's gleaning grain. So that was taking care of, of a financial need by doing that. I think a better equivalent from the poor tithe to taxes, I think a better equivalent is the poor tithe, poor tithe is really our understanding of a benevolence fund. Our church and every church that I've been part of has a benevolence fund where we give funds to people in our church and in our community who are struggling in some sort of way. Also in the Old Testament, we see offerings. And there's a distinction between tithes and offerings in, in the Old Testament. There's three types of offerings. There's propitiatory offerings, dedicatory offerings, and communal offerings. All the offerings, when you see them in the New Testament, are monies and resources that were given above the 10%. So when they gave an offering, it was above the 10%. It was also for a specific purpose. And further, it was voluntary in ways that the tithe was not. God clearly commanded the tithe, and He commands the offerings, but for specific reasons. So there might be years where they didn't give an offering, but there was not a year where they weren't to faithfully give the tithe. Does that make sense? When I was growing up, uh, men in our church would talk about, you know, there's, I, I, you give tithes and you give offerings. And that was two different categories for them. And, and I think these categories are helpful. They would say that the tithe, that, that's that thing that I'm supposed to faithfully give. And then sometimes if the church has a specific need over and above, kind of like what's in the budget, that, that's to be an offering. And so uh, the way I view it is, is listen, the, the budget of our church, that ought, that ought to be covered by the tithes of our covenant members. But when we take on something like we are right now, uh, the, the expansion project of the building, that, that's more of, of, an, of an offering. That, that's something that we give above our 10%. Before I turn to the New Testament, I, I want to ask a question of Malachi 3.10. Again, let me read it, and then I'm going to ask a question of it. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Here's my question of this passage. What is the New Testament equivalent of the storehouse? So in the Old Testament, they were to bring their tithes into the temple. We don't worship in the temple. There is no temple anymore. The gospel says that the church is the temple. You and I are where God now dwells. So what is the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament temple? Your third point, understand in the New Testament, the standard was raised, not lowered, was raised to generosity. The gospel is, is that Jesus died once for all as the sacrificial lamb. Amen? That's the good news of the gospel. That, that He died as the sacrificial lamb for our sins. And the implications of that is, as we saw in the book of Hebrews, is, is we no longer need temple sacrifices. And if you need some evidences in the Scriptures of that, if you remember when Jesus died on the cross, what happened in the Holy of Holies to that veil? It was torn open. God was symbolically saying, I'm coming out of the Holy of Holies. The Spirit of God now dwells in my people. And that's good news. Let me say it this way. As a Christian, I don't care if the modern nation state of Israel re rebuilds the temple. I, I wouldn't worship there if they rebuilt it tomorrow. And you know why? Because the Messiah has come. We don't need the temple. Amen? Isn't that good news? Like, like we don't have these ethnic barriers to the Lord. You know, we, we don't have to go to Israel and go to Jerusalem to worship God. God has come out from there. And, the, and it's this inclusive gospel to where we can all worship Him and He dwells with, uh, within us. The good news uh, is that the Old Testament cultic worship that was centered on the temple, that has all been done away with. Okay, That's the gospel, right? That's the good news. But then that goes back to that question, well, how does the Old Testament 
uh, rules about tithing, how does that translate to the New Testament era? If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians 9. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, I think this gives the clearest teaching about giving in the New Testament. Verse 6 says, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What I think Paul is doing here is, I think it has nothing to do with doing away with the tithe principle. I think he's doing exactly what Jesus was doing in the Sermon on the Mount, which is raising the standard by cutting to the heart. He's raising the standard of the Old Testament law, and he's doing that by cutting to the motivations of the heart. If you weren't with us in the spring, and when we looked at Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17 is the most helpful verse in the Bible on how the Old Testament and the New Testament relate to each other. Specifically, how the Old Testament law relates to the New Testament. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That statement says that he's not doing away with the law. So there's all these things in the New Testament that are not mentioned, that are mentioned in the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, I'm not doing away with those things. I have come to fulfill it. I'm not diminishing it. I'm actually raising it. So Jesus, the gospel, and the New Testament does not teach that we no longer have to give a tithe. Jesus doesn't have to reference this. He's come to fulfill the law. Rather, to be consistent with with, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, in Matthew 5, what's going on there is that, this is, that the tithe is still in place, but, but the, the standard is raised. It's not lower. The tithe is still in place, but we're now to do it generously and cheerfully from our heart. That's how Jesus fulfills the law. He raises the standard by cutting to the heart. The tithe principle fits within that. So when someone tries to say, and, and I hear this often, that because of the New Testament, I don't have to give a tithe anymore. I just need to be to be generous. I I retort with a couple of things. The first one is super sarcastic, but there's wisdom and purpose behind my sarcasm. Here's my sarcasm if you come with that argument. I say, okay, well, are you free from the Old Testament law of murder? Well, that's stupid. Of of course not. Of course you're not free from the Old Testament law of murder, right? What does Jesus say about the Old Testament law of murder? He doesn't say that, okay, now you're free to go murder people. He says, no, no, no. Don't murder, but I'm going to raise the standard by cutting to you the heart, and I'm going to tell you don't be angry anymore. So if you, if you take that same approach to tithing, he's not saying, okay, don't tithe. Jesus actually then, and Paul through 2 Corinthians 9, he pushes into the heart of tithing. And I also ask a second thing on that point. I say, I always ask that, okay, help me understand how generosity is less than 10%. If there's this long history of 10% in the Old Testament, that's God's standard. And you want to argue for generosity, that's fine. But tell me how generosity is less than 10%. I know this sounds paradoxical, but I always say, and if you've gone through our Better Together membership class, hopefully you've heard me say this. But I always say there that the New Testament principle, and this might sound weird to most ears, the New Testament principle is that we're now free to give more. That's the gospel of grace. You're now free to give more. That's really what's going on here. So because of the gospel, disciples should cheerfully, as part of their worship, give God at the very least 10%. But generosity, I think, is more than that. So again, Jesus fulfills the law. In other words, the way Jesus relates the New Testament gospel to the Old Testament law is by raising the standard, not lowering it, not doing away with it, but by cutting to the heart. Therefore, I think the standard that we have today, strictly speaking, is that we are to give more. But what are we to give to? Listen, there's a lot of wonderful things to give to. What are we supposed to give to? If we're to give 10%, what does that go to? What are we to give that 10% to? Well, if you go back to Malachi 3.10, what is the equivalent, the New Testament equivalent of the storehouse? We know that he was talking about the temple in the Old Testament. They were to give 10% to the temple. But what is, what is the New Testament equivalent? I think the New Testament equivalent, the thing we're supposed to give to is the local body of believers, your local church. 
healthy churches, what we're supposed to be doing is we're to make a, as, as members, covenant members, we're to covenant together to say, listen, we are going to work together to spread the gospel in our community and spread the gospel around the world. And listen, that is what God is doing in this world. That is the main way God is carrying out His redemptive mission in this world is through local body of believers just like ours doing that. That's why our covenant members make a a sacred covenant to each other and to God that we are going to tithe 10%. Listen, I don't uh, don't have space in this sermon to make a full case for a missional ecclesiology. But in the Bible, as you think about the New Testament, the way God expanded His kingdom was through planting and establishing churches. That, that was missions in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, was planting and establishing churches, okay? That's how God envisions to be functioning, carrying out His redemptive plan in the world, is through planting and establishing churches. That, that doesn't mean other things, other missions things that are outside of that are bad in any way, okay? I have too many seminary degrees, I love seminaries. I've been greatly blessed by seminaries. Seminaries are not the church. I've, I've sat on a board of, of a fellowship of Christian athletes. I love FCA. I was greatly impacted by FCA as a, as a high school student. FCA is not the church. I currently sit on the board of, of a local crisis pregnancy center. I'm very, very passionate about it. I believe in it. But the local crisis pregnancy center is not the church. They are good ministries. I'm not discouraging you from giving to them at all. In fact, I'm encouraging you to give to those things. I'm just saying that shouldn't be part of your tithe. Consider that as an offering. The church is how God is accomplishing His redemptive purposes in the world. The church is the storehouse. That's why Christians are to give 10% of their income to their local church. I encourage you to give to those ministries, but I think it's better to put those gifts in the category of offerings, not tithe. Okay, that's my uh, theology in the Bible. Let's start shifting here to principles and practices for today. How does all this apply to our lives? The, The fourth thing on your handout is kind of my definition of tithing. Today, cheerfully and faithfully tithe to the Lord through your local church as a joyful act of worship. I believe God calls all Christians to tithe to the local church. And the tithing principle is that we are to cheerfully and faithfully give 10% of our income to the, local church, to the Lord through the local church as a joyful act of our worship. Let me break that apart a little bit. As we saw in 2 Corinthians 9, we're to give cheerfully. Like, I'm confident that not all of you, but probably most of you are kind of like me on this issue that you don't just naturally come to giving and tithing with cheerful hearts. Like, you probably don't skip to that. I don't, okay? I'm pretty stingy, and so I need this reminder that I'm to give cheerfully. Can I encourage you, with somebody, somebody encouraged me on this point, um, if you're there, I encourage you to pray as you give. That's just a, a practice I've tried to develop, that when, when I give my tithe, I just stop and, and I pray. I, I give online. But I, but I stop and I, and I pray in that moment. And I just pray that God would use those funds to proclaim the gospel and to expand his kingdom. And I always pray, and maybe you don't struggle with this the way I do, but I always just pray for my own heart. I just pray that I would be a cheerful giver, that, that I would be generous from my heart in this. So if you're struggling with this, I think that's a helpful challenge from 2 Corinthians 9 to give cheerfully and generously. And if you struggle with that, pray to God to ask Him to help. But also, tithing should be faithful. It should be faithful, meaning that it should be consistent. In other words, it should be part of your financial priorities. It's not meant to be done just sporadically as it's convenient for you. If your tithing is sporadic, then that's probably a heart issue. And listen, I, I know people's incomes come in different. Maybe you're getting paid first and, and 15th. Maybe you just get paid in one you know, big lump when you sell a bunch of cows. Or you know, h- however you get paid uh, and, and however the Lord provides for you in those ways, you're to be consistent and faithful in that giving. I do want to chase something for a minute. And ladies, you can maybe tune out here. I want to I speak to the men for a second. Um, I, I've really wrestled with what I'm about to say because I don't want it to come off too harsh. But 
But I know in our church particularly, we, we just have a lot of younger men who are just kind of launching out. Uh, some of you are, are, are newly married. You, you have a wife, maybe you have children, and, and you're beginning to kind of think through, okay, what are the things that I'm doing financially? What are the directions I'm taking? What are the paths that I'm going on? Let, let me, I, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but, I, but I, uh, I want to say this clearly. Godly, mature men, they prioritize tithing in their financial planning. That's just the truth of it. Men who give faithfully a tithe to the Lord, that, that's a mark of faithfulness and maturity. You personally and your wife and kids, if you make that commitment to the Lord, that will be a sacrifice, okay? I'm not preaching rainbows and unicorns up here, okay? If you tithe, you and your children and your wife will have to make a sacrifice for that. There's going to be things you're not going to get to do or want to do because of it. However, it is good. It is good for you and it is good for them. Your sacrificial tithe, it demonstrates your love for the Lord and your faithful commitment to the proclamation of the gospel and your faithful commitment to making disciples. Men, that's just the reality of your heart. If you tithe, it will lead to godliness in your own life. It will be good for you and your children, and you will have to sacrifice certain things that affects them. It will be difficult, but it will be good. Again, it's 10%. Now, if you're like me and your inner accountant is going on here, is it pre or post-tax? I don't know, man. That, that's up to you, okay? There's grace there. If, I, I, don't, I don't know how to answer that. I do know that if you say, listen, I'm giving 3%, and that's my tithe, God, through Hebrew terms and grammar, is probably rebuking you, saying that's not a tithe. That's 3%. It's an offering, but it's just not a tithe. I, I also strongly believe that, that due to the New Testament's focus on church planting and, and the church being the heart of the mission of God, that the 10% is to the local church. Now, if you're also like me, you're probably cynical and your antennas are going up and you're saying, I bet you're preaching this sermon. Like that benefits you personally. You're right. It, it does benefit me personally if our covenant members tithe. However, I, I just want to remind you, this is the first time I've spoken on this in 10 years. So if you think I'm you know, the pastor that's always out of your, after your money, it's just not true. Now, you can think that and you can leave the church, but it's not true. This is conviction for me. And this is why our covenant members make the covenant that they do. And, and I also just want to say as your pastor, this church is filled with generous people. And, and just as your pastor, I want, I want to thank you for your generosity. And, and further, as your friend and your pastor, if you're tithing faithfully, I want to say well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. This is a sacrifice, and I want to I encourage you. And I want to encourage you with, with a connection. And I, I really want you to see this, that the good things that the Lord has done in the life of this church, that is a direct connection to your faithful tithes and offerings. And, and I pray that you see that. And I, I highlight that because what I want you to see is that your tithing is part of your joyful worship. Like, I want you to see that connection. I want you to know that your giving matters. And, it's a, and I want you to experience blessing from that. I want you to experience the joy of worshiping through tithing. I want you to walk through these hallways and with joy see what God is doing. I am very proud of the staff that we are building in this church, okay? And I want you to be proud of them as well. And your tithes and your offerings are making that happen. We don't have a money tree outside of this room that is making this happen. You guys are making it happen. And, and I want you to take joy in that. When you hear what God is doing with young people in our church, I want you to, to praise God. I want, I want that to be happy in your soul. That's what it is for me. That's what it does for me. I walk around these hallways and I hear these comments and I hear these stories and I see what's going on and it just spurs me to want to give more because it brings me joy seeing what God is doing here. It's, it's, it's meant to be part of our worship and, and I pray it's doing that for you. Before I move on to the next point, I want to comment on a couple of extremes and, and, and an exception to all of this. Extreme number one, I've, uh, um, even though some might say that that holding to a tithe is legalistic. 
I want to address something, some extremes, because I want to demonstrate this is an example of it not being legalistic. Um, I have known uh, people who are so wealthy that if they tied to their local church, it would, it would double or triple the budget of their church, okay? Now, if that's you, good for you, bro. If that's you, I want you to hear from me. I don't think you should tithe to your local church, okay? Here's what I think you ought to do. I think you ought to meet with the leadership and determine, hey, are things squared away here at the church? Is the church at a healthy place? And help with that. And then with your 10%, Make sure your church is squared away with your giving. And then go do all this amazing things with your giving. Like start a church planting fund. Stabilize a struggling seminary. Build an orphanage in, in, in India. I, I've known some, some men who, who do that, and it is glorious what they do. Okay, So if that is where you are, just hear that from me. And then there's another extreme that I want to step into as well. I've also known people that are so impoverished that they're not able to pay for essential things if they were to tithe. Again, I, I, I just want you to hear from me that I want you to hear grace from me on this. Typically, when people are there, it's due to a couple of things. It's due to divorce or it's due to disability. Okay, when, when people go through a divorce, it is a crushing financial burden. When, when people deal with disabilities that maybe keep them from working, that's another issue that affects their tithing. Listen, if you're a single mom walking through a divorce, sister, please hear me. I want you to hear grace from your pastor on this issue. I want you to prioritize getting your financial house squared away before you start thinking about tithing. There's another exception that I want to speak to, and I think this is an exciting one. I've had people over the years come to me and say, listen, uh, my, uh, my father's a missionary or, or my brother's a church planter. And, and I feel like uh, for a season that, that I, I really need to send my tithe to them to help get that thing established. Man, if that's where you are, praise God. I want you to hear praise God for me. What an exciting thing to have a, a family member like that, uh, you know, uh, taking on a ministry like that. And I love your generosity. So as your pastor, I also want you to hear grace from me on that issue. Again, to... To wrap up this fourth point, the tithing principle is that we are to cheerfully and faithfully give 10% of our income to the Lord through our local church as a joyful act of worship. But what gets in the way of tithing? What gets in the way of tithing? The fifth point here is to turn from love of money to love of God. At the end of the day, if someone is struggling with tithing, they're struggling with a love of money and a lack of love for God. You can make all the arguments what you want, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. And hear me, friend, this isn't the unforgivable sin. We all cling to idols. Brothers who don't tithe are struggling with an idolatrous love of money. And friend, I just want you to hear that God has something better for you. Whatever that thing is that you're holding on to, maybe it's a toy. Maybe it's future financial security. Know that God has something better for you. And listen, your lack of tithing, it's like everything else. It is a heart issue. So when you love God above everything else, you're not going to be stingy with giving. But like when you really understand and feel the weight and beauty of the gospel, you can't help but be generous in that moment. In other words, if your inner lawyer is activated by this issue and you're building all this scaffolding of justification, understand that that is a check engine light. Something is going on in your heart. Turn from the love of money to the love of God. He has something better for you than whatever you're clinging to. And the final point I want to make here is discover the blessing of tithing. Again, Malachi 3.10 where he lands there is a promise of a blessing. God wants to bless you. Discover that blessing that he is promising there. Listen, it, it's been a, a challenge for me to kind of step back into thinking about this issue this spring. However, it's been a blessing. You, you see, tithing is a blessing because it requires us to reflect again and ponder again upon Jesus' gracious, gracious, generous gospel of grace. Like it forces you back into that, that he gave everything for us. And stepping back into that, that is a blessing. Tithing is a blessing because God uses it as a tool to help us grow spiritually. Like it 
forces us to face our idols and it forces us to trust Him. That formula, turning from idols, turning to trust Him, that is how you grow spiritually. So there's a blessing when tithing forces you into that. Tithing is also a blessing because it grows us as worshipers. It broadens our praise from something that we just do on Sunday morning singing to all areas of our lives. In other words, it gets into our discipleship. That's how this is a discipleship issue. Tithing then enables you to be a more faithful disciple. You see, we grow when we sacrifice. We grow when we follow God more faithfully or give over more to Him. We grow when we participate in the mission of God. And that's what's happening in tithing. And finally, tithing is a blessing because when done correctly, it increases our joy. Friends, we get to participate in what the God of the universe is doing in Denton County right now with our giving. That's glorious. Like you get to participate in the gospel being proclaimed to, to children and young adults. You get to participate in that. And that is glorious. This is what God is doing in our world right now. And, our, and he does it through our tithing. And I pray that it brings you great joy. Let me get a little more specific and we'll close here. Let me give you two uh, practical uh, maybe points of wisdom that I've received over the years on this issue. And, and I think both these two points of wisdom have been very helpful for me, so let me share them. Um, when I was a kid, I think I was, it was late elementary, um, I had my, my first job. I had a paper route with a Denton Record Chronicle. Um, and when I got my, my first paycheck, my dad sat me down and he told me, he didn't, this wasn't a discussion conversation, here's what he told me. He said, you will give 10% of your income to the Lord uh, through our church. And you will give, and you will put 10% in savings, and you can do whatever you want with 80%. And then he backed it up. I don't know if you grew up in a church like this, but our church had these little uh, offering envelopes, you know, and you could write on and put your money. He gave me a stack of those. I mean, it wasn't one. He gave me a stack of those, okay? He gave me one envelope then for the savings. But that was his wisdom to be. Now, I'm really thankful for that. And the older I've gotten, I realize that most people have not had that experience. But I'm really thankful for that experience because I think he was shepherding me with a lot of wisdom. And, and here's, here's why. From then on, I didn't understand tithing as legalism, okay? I, I understood it as a healthy rhythm of my spiritual life. This was just a healthy part of what it meant to be a, a faithful Christian. And I'm so grateful for that. And here's part of the reason why. I don't have to give away half of my income. I can't give away half of my income, okay? And maybe you're in that boat. I don't spend any time, I don't, I don't spend any energy wrestling with the shame of what I can't give. I, I had a, a good friend years ago, and he said, yeah, I, uh, we're giving away half of our income. I thought, man, that's so amazing. And I, was, I, and I, and I still, to this day, I think that is amazing. Now, you need to understand that that man had five children. All five of them went to the most elite private school in our city. And, and, and they had this beautiful home. They went on lavish vacations every year. They could do that and live on half of his income. So I actually backed up and said, brother, I, I think you need to be careful. You're telling a lot of people that, that you're discipling. I think you need to be really careful with that because most people cannot do that, okay? So, so when you read generosity, what is generosity? I don't know. And, and you think, well, maybe, maybe I should give away 70% of my income or 50% of my income. Listen, don't waste time. Don't waste energy feeling shame about what you, can't, what you cannot do. I think a tithe is doable. It has helped me personally trust the Lord more. It's helped me worship Him more. And it's helped me participate on what He's doing. So I'm grateful for the wisdom that my dad gave me. Let me give you some other wisdom that an early uh, trustee of our church uh, said, and I, I found this to be very helpful. He used to tell um, our members at our members meeting that if you're not giving, begin to give. And if you're giving, but you're not tithing, begin to tithe. And listen, if you're anything like me and like you're, you're running through your budget and you're running through all things you got to pay through in this thing, listen, I, 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 don't want you to, I, I don't want you to feel undue burden on this. I want you to be intentional. I want you to think about it, but I, I want you to take a step of faith here. That's what I think this sermon should do in your life. I think it should just cause you to take a faithful, sacrificial step today. And, and this is what this brother used to say. If you're not giving, begin to give. If you're giving but you're not tithing, begin to tithe. 
the opposite of generosity is stinginess. And this week, that word stingy just stuck in my head, and it reminded me of, of old Scrooge from A Christmas Carol. Remember Dickens' A Christmas Carol? This is how Dickens described his character. He described him as the cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his lips, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice, bah humbug. It took old uh, uh, the ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of Christmas present and the struggles of Tiny Tim to help get uh, Scrooge's uh, attention and, and convicted him. But as you know that story, uh, stingy Scrooge, he went from cold to warm. He became a generous man. And by the end of the story, the reality of it is, is Scrooge had less money, but he had more joy. That's my prayer. I pray that this message has been helpful for all of us to be less stingy and cold and more generous and joyful. But if it hasn't, I'm going to be out of town this week, and you can send your angry emails to andy at redeemerdenton.com. Just kidding. In all seriousness, may you experience joy by worshiping through tithing. Let's pray. Father God, um, thank you that I'm done with this sermon. Everything in my flesh has not wanted to preach this. Lord, I do thank you for the generosity of your people in this church. Thank you for the faithful tithes and offerings that we've seen for a decade. I thank you for all that you've done through it. Lord, more than anything, I pray that as people take steps of faith with this, uh, with this topic and with this area of their lives, I pray that it would bring them great joy. Lord, we claim that promise of blessing. We know that it's not going to bring Lamborghinis and bigger houses and financial security for the rest of our lives. It's going to bring us things that are more important than those things, that are better than those things. It's going to bring us joy. Lord, may we be faithful in this area. And may you do glorious things through the giving of your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.